and welcome to episode 51 of the 1099 for the week of July 18th, 2016. I'm your host, as always, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is the head honcho, which is the title I just gave you, of the new games culture site from Rolling Stone, John Davison. John, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. It's uh, currently not storming for like the first time in forever in Jacksonville. Uh, it's been like, ever since the fireworks stopped, it's just been rain and storming, so it's been awful what i'm saying is don't go on the east coast you should go directly back to the west coast it's, it's a nice i am here. yes there was a big storm here uh and i'm going home tomorrow to get away from this awful weather yeah it's <laughs> it's no good i moved from pittsburgh to florida to be like oh it's gonna be better weather it's gonna be sunny no it's i was completely lied to i feel like i was duped <laughs> now <I'm in> <laughs> uh, so i was talking to phil kohler last week and it was yeah. really interesting to talk to him as uh, someone who like he kind of had this realization as we were talking of like oh man Polygon is now the established website. Polygon is now like one of the, you know, the game spots, the IGN, the Kotaku, because I think he's always had that mindset of, you know, brand new site, you're always hustling, you're always trying to, you know, make sure that you're not going to be going away in six months or anything like that. And uh, I was talking to him a lot about like the, the strategies for like, how did you decide like what direction you're going to go at the start and when it's time to change? And that's why I was really excited to talk to you because you're someone who, is about to go on with this new website, Glixel. That's you know something completely different for you. It's it's starting from scratch in a sense, and yeah. seeing the landscape that's out there now, and saying like, what is a video game culture or a video game coverage website like today? Like, because it's not going to be the same that you know Gamespot and IGN was back then. But before we really dig into Glixel, uh, yeah, you've held quite a few jobs up to this point, uh-huh. uh, and. <laughs> I think another thing that I always do with this podcast is I think it's interesting to talk to people and hear their stories about how they got into this. So what do you see as kind of your entry point into the industry? Um, I started writing about games professionally when I was 14. Whoa, wait, uh, hold on. Yeah. You couldn't even, like, drive yet? No. So I was in the UK. Um, my uh, So my kind of sort of way into games was through my dad who worked for IBM mm. and so we always had computers and technology and, and then video gamey type stuff around us and he was really into uh, flight simulators um, and we had uh, an Atari 400 home computer back when I was sort of you know early teens and my dad was really into flight sims and he some, I don't remember how it happened but he hooked up with this guy that ran this this Atari-focused magazine, which was sort of... It wasn't a fanzine, but it wasn't a full-on newsstand thing. It was sort of in this weird middle ground yeah. that existed at the time. And he would write um, about the map packs and stuff for Flight Simulator for this magazine. And we were at some computer show in London, and I was with him, and we were talking to the guy that ran the magazine, and... Uh, I, you know, had said that, hey, I would love to, you know, try reviewing a game. And he's like, how about I send, I'll send you some stuff and you write, and if you like it, we'll publish it, and I can't pay you, but you can keep the games. Which, when you're 14, that's all you perfectly, need. Perfectly fine arrangement. Yeah. Um, so I did that. The first game I ever reviewed was uh, Winter Games by Epix on the Atari ST. Oh, wow. And I did that for the next four or five years. Um, and then, so when I left school and I, I took a year off, which I am technically still on, um, <laughs> between, between school and going to university. And I got a job in the UK on the first 
I'm pretty sure it was the first weekly games magazine in the... No, it probably wasn't. It was certainly the first uh, weekly games magazine that was in English, let's put it that way. Mm. Um, it was called Games X in the UK. Uh, I was a staff writer on that. So that would have been... Uh, 1990-something. Was that 90- a full-time position? Yes. Okay. 91, right. probably, that would have been. Yeah, I was 19, so 91. Uh, so I did that. That lasted a year. Um, I did some other stuff. In, uh, that uh, that was part of Europress, a company in the UK that did a lot of games magazines like ST Action, and I did... I wrote for GB Action, which was a Game Boy book for a while, and then... Uh, a bunch of us left, and I had my first startup experience where a bunch of us left, and we started a company called Maverick, um, where we did a Mega Drive and a Super Nintendo magazine, and I ended up running the Mega Drive book. It was called Mega Drive Advanced Gaming. And then after a while, we launched a PC magazine called PC Player um, that was more sort of in-depth features on PC books. Uh, and PC games, and primarily, you know, the sort of hardcore stuff like strategy and simulation, and um, eventually that got sold, but the team didn't go with it, and I ended up in London, and I was the editor of PC Zone for a long time, and I ended up as the publisher of PC Zone. Um, which was sort of mid nineties. It was PC market was booming. It was, you know, system shock, doom, quake, that period. You know, it was a real heyday for PC gaming. So I was doing that. I did that for quite a while. And then in 1998 was when I moved to the US and I ran Electronic Gaming Monthly. Oh man. So I'd connected with those guys. I used to go to CES every year and there was this pre E3. There was a CES in Chicago and a CES in Vegas. So the Chicago one was in the summer, and I would always go to that because there was a fairly decent games component to it. Mm-hmm. And every time I would go and I'd meet the publisher and the editorial director of EGM, and we'd go out for a beer and just connect. And jokingly, I'd said, hey, if you ever want me to come run EGM, give me a call. And, <laughs> jokingly. Uh, yeah, and they did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so that was in 98. I moved over, and that was in Chicago. And we... You know, we, we had Electronic Gaming Monthly, an official PlayStation magazine, which I ran for a while. Um, and then I was the editorial director of that whole group. And I moved to San Francisco and oversaw um, Electronic Gaming Monthly and, and uh, official PlayStation magazine and Computing Gaming World. And we launched 1UP and Game Videos and My Cheats. And there were various, uh, various other magazines in the mix as well. There was Game Now for a while. We, you know, we'd, and we had a bunch of specials and stuff. So I, I was at Ziff for 10 years, nearly, mm-hmm. um, and ended up as, I can't remember what my title was when I left, Senior Vice President of something or other. I don't know. So a fa- you have a lot of fancy titles. <laughs> I do, yeah. Your, your LinkedIn profile has to just be stacked, especially since you know, everything you reviewed right there, it's been quite a few different places. But, I mean, you don't have the average. Usually when you see someone go from, let's say, GameSpot.gn, it's like, Associate editor, and then maybe they became an editor, and then like senior editor. But when you look at what you have, it's you know executive vice president of content or vice president of programming for games at CBS. Uh, what kind of got you into that aspect of this business instead of? I mean, it sounds like you did a bit of everything, but I guess what was the first yeah. moment where you started heading in that direction? That would have been 
Well, that was probably at PC Zone because I ended up as the publisher. So um, when the, when I was bumped from editor to publisher, I all edit and all of sales and marketing and distribution and everything reported into me. So I got a taste for how the whole business works when I was doing that. Um, so I had sort of more of a holistic view of how everything fit together because of that. And then, so when I ended up at Ziff, um, we, you know, we completely, I mean, when I was running EGM, the goal was to, it was at that point where, you know, there were a lot of Brits coming into America and, and messing with American games magazines because there was, there was just a very different mentality in the UK on how to, how to make media about video games and it kind of it moved its way to the US and what made it different I, I i when i was coming up actually the first slide i wrote for was uh, it's a very small like indie uk site uh right. and i i i feel like i kind of understand like there's definitely a difference but uh it's hard to pinpoint like what exactly was the kind of different uh mentality with that um well back then the the, the this was, so this was sort of you know mid to late 90s all the us games magazines were you know, it was lots of little screenshots and not a lot of depth. And, you know, it was like little nuggety things. And, the, you know, there wasn't a huge amount of substance always necessarily. Whereas, you know, a lot of stuff that was happening in the UK had a bit more of a sort of journalistic foundation. Hmm. Um, and that mentality kind of moved its way over with a bunch of Brits that came over. So, you know, I came over and then people like Gary Widder and... Uh, Simon Cox and uh, Rob Smith and I mean there's a li list as long as you're up that are people that are still over here doing stuff um, um, and also the design was very different as well I mean like you know we were already doing stuff with you know large screenshots and using artwork and trying to make things a, a bit more mature and adult and so we completely redesigned EGM we completely we sort of blew up the team and put it back together um, and you know, did start, we did sort of more in-depth features and we, we sort of really doubled down on the stuff that people really liked and we got rid of the stuff that, you know, just seemed frivolous. Um, we, you know, we would push back a lot on, on people that were just like, Hey, you're right about this, right? And it was like, well, no, cause it sounds kind of shit. Yeah. So we spent a couple of years sort of like really, so this was sort of, you know, EGM, I felt really came into its own in like 99, sort of around the Dreamcast launch. Mm. We had some nice big fat issues with some really meaty features and the team was really humming. And then um, the group at Ziff wanted a similar treatment to the official PlayStation magazine, so I went and did that. Uh, so then I got this sort of sort of internal reputation for being the guy that would go and reboot things and reinvent things a little bit. And uh, and that sort of ultimately became like, well, would you just sort of oversee everything? <laughs> That's not, uh, I mean, that sounds daunting, but it kind of sounds like a cool reputation to have. Yeah, and it, and it was cool. And then, so of course, when we started moving to, you know, and transitioning to to online, it meant, you know, that being there from beginning and make sure the team, the right team, was in place for what we were going to do online, and also just thinking strategically so that we, you know, how does print and online coexist, for example, you know. Um, so that was a big part of that. Um, then I had so what they play came about because. Uh, I had kids, frankly. I mean, it was, as, it was as simple as that. Um, and I would be, you know, when my, when my oldest son was in preschool, I would be at these events with all these parents and I was sort of singled out as the video games guy and people would come and ask me stuff all the time. Um, and it just sort of occurred to me that there was probably a business there 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we, myself and, the, and Ira, who was the guy that was my partner on what they play, we, we sort of shopped it around and a bunch of people agreed that there was something to it and we raised a couple million dollars to build what they play. That's not uh, um, So we launched it and we got out there and then we, we were like really aggressive on the PR side and we went and talked about video games on the Today Show and Good Morning America and CNN and when we launched, we got the thing on the front page of the business section of the New York Times, not New York Times, LA Times. Um, and just were, and because it was at the height of when we was just like, you know, going mental. Like, there was, we in 2007 was what Pokemon Go is today, right? It's I was like, about to make, yeah, <laughs> the, that level of just everyone is talking about it. Yeah. Um, so we did that for a couple of years and then we eventually sold it to IGN, who folded. At the time, IGN's strategy was very much about broadening the reach and they were going after the female audience and the family audience and so what they play got tucked into IGN uh, in 2009 and then ultimately when they shifted strategy it went away since you've really seen I mean again you've seen the industry grow you've seen a change you've been someone who has come in to revamp things how how kind of daunting can it be to look at something again like Blixel like launching a new site in this uh, current environment how crazy is it to look at that and be like I need to build something that will stand out I need to build something that will you know like, like, like probably a you mentioned like a kind of a culture site uh, with mm-hmm. a lot of writing on it how can this can I make this so that it stands out among all of the streamers all of the YouTubers all of this entirely new thing because you don't want to just look at it and be like well okay that's hot so let's only do streaming let's only do video let's focus on that because you don't really know is that going to last is that a sustainable strategy i mean when you're going into something like this what are your plans and how do you try to communicate those to rolling stone so uh the funny thing that came about with this was so back when i was doing egm the sort of shorthand that we would use for what we were aspiring to would be, it was sort of like, look, you know, let's, let's try and be Rolling Stone for video games, which is kind of, you know, ironic given where things went, uh, 20 years later. Um, the, I mean, honestly, if this was starting from scratch without being a part of something like Rolling Stone, it, it, I, I, I probably wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have considered it. You know, it was, you, you really need, you need, uh, a daddy <laughs> to help. Um, but I mean, this came about the, 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 the sort of the circumstances under which this came about was, you know, every now and then you feel like the universe is trying to tell you something. Mm-hmm. This was totally because the sequence of serendipitous events and things from my past and things that I'd said 15 years ago and people that I'd worked with, it all started coming together. And uh, and it just felt like... So uh, a guy from Rolling Stone reached out and said, hey, we're looking at video games. We hear you're someone to talk to about that. Can we just pick your brain? And, uh, and we had a long chat and really hit it off. And we talked about how we thought the sort of state of media was and just everything you just talked about. Like what it, what does it mean now given that there's, you know, you know, streamers and YouTubers and everything is there's so much stuff. Like what's missing? Because they they looked at stuff and and clearly seen that there was something missing and they just they were sort of like you know, do other people see this opportunity? 
and that we sort of aligned around this idea that there is a culture around video games that is, uh, you know, not consistently covered. Um, and that the approach that Rolling Stone takes to, um, to music and, and other parts of pop culture, you can apply that to, to video games. And it was like, okay, let's, let's work out how to define that. Um, so we spent a couple months just sort of like really looking at the space and looking at how, you know, where the gaps were and because you can't just go out and say, because if you just went out and said, Hey, we're making another video games website, you know, the, the knee jerk reaction could very easily be really another one. <laughs> <laughs> Those have done so well. But I think the, the association with Rolling Stone and the, you know, that you've got, you've got a pre-existing you know, next year it's going to be 50 years old. So you've got this pre-existing example that you can point to on what you're aspiring to. Um, and then we decided that we were going to launch it as, uh, you know, the site itself is not going to launch until later this year. Mm-hmm. But launching it as a newsletter, I mean, we'd looked at things like um, The Ringer from Bill yeah. Simmons and what um, and Lenny and, and things where it was, you know, this, being unafraid to put somewhat longer form journalism out into the world as part of a newsletter um, to build audience in a sort of grassroots way um, and also to over time build up a body of work so that when you say, hey, we want to approach this from a, you know, a bit more of a cultural perspective with much more of a focus on people and things that are really resonating in the culture and making sure that you're reflecting the culture back rather than just sort of grinding through product. Um, that we have, you know, we have a body of work that we can point to, and also because we're partnered with Rolling Stone, we are essentially the video game voice uh, in the in the Rolling Stone mix because we publish our stories to the culture section of RollingStone.com, um, which is great because that sort of gives us a bit more oomph than yeah, absolutely. more exposure that way. Yeah. Um, so it's been good and it's been, it's been, you know, really encouraging how people have responded to it and talking to people in the industry about it and working with writers on, you know, some sometimes out there ideas and, and refining them and developing them. And I think that's the, that's the exciting part. And there's, there's lots of bits that I've tried to do in the past. There's some stuff that we were trying to do on EGM back in 99, 2000. There was some stuff that we were doing around gaming as part of pop culture when I was running the official PlayStation magazine. There's a lot of things we were thinking about and, as, ulti- and aspiring to, but perhaps never got around to with 1UP. Um, and then also, I mean, I did a brief stint rebooting GamePro. Um, that was that was along the same lines as well. It's like, let's go a little deeper. Let's, I mean, it was, it was that project was about giving GamePro print some purpose in an online dominated world. Like, yeah. They didn't want to get rid of Game Pro and Print, but it needed a job because, you know, you can't, you, you, you can't do a bunch of content printed on paper and then expect people to pay five bucks for it when all the content they could ever want is online. You gotta yeah, give them a reason. Right there. Yeah, you gotta give them a reason. So the reboot of Game Pro was, alright, let's, let's double down on what makes print special. And it was, you know, long form journalism interviews, like, Going a little deeper, you know, being a little more aspirational. I mean, very different to GamePro's history, but they, IDG was super open to like, but just, just give it some purpose was sort of the direction that I got. But there was a lot of learnings there that people do want content that's more than just tell me about this game. Mm-hmm. 
so, I mean, when Rolling Stone reaches out to you, of course, they have to have an idea of what they want Clixel to be. But if they're coming to you, they also have to expect that you have enough experience and savvy and understanding that you have some ideas, too. I mean, how how much creative control do you have when you when you first talk to them? Were you able to say, like, here is my overview for what I think this is going to be? Or was it one of those things that both of your ideas kind of just blended and it worked together in that way? They blended, and I was lucky that kind of where where I'd been thinking, uh, I had the benefit of having after after I was at CBS. Um, so I was at CBS for a couple of years, and I ran I ran their games properly. So we it was Gamespot and Metacritic were the two main ones, and then we brought um, Giant Bomb back into the field when I was there, which was a which was a fun period. I remember um, that uh, introduction <laughs> video with Jeff Gersman. Um uh, and then after that, I, I kind of stepped away from it for a couple of years. Um, and having that couple of years away from games media was great for perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it was, you know, for, okay, here's what's missing. Here's, here's where I think there's some opportunity. And I think when you're in the thick of it, it's difficult to see it. Yeah. Um, Were you at Red Robot Labs during that time? Yeah. What exactly was your role there? So I was running, um, the, we, we had a product called First, which was a, um, it was essentially a social network for gamers on mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea being that it was, it was a live chat application, um, that could also be integrated into games. So the, the idea was that it would be, you know, it could, it could power clan chat in a game or it could be a community about anything in video games, but it lived on your phone. Um, but also, Red Robot did uh, location-based gaming, which um, okay. is, quite, is quite popular this week. Just a little um, bit. It's so a few it's years ahead of our time with that. Um, <laughs> so I was at Red Robot for a while, and then um, I ended up at Zynga in part because of what I was doing at Red Robot. I was hired at Zynga to do basically the same thing, which is they were interested in exploring a social network that connected their games together. Um, and I was there for a, a year working with a team that was, was working on that. Um, but in those two years, you know, I continued to, to read and watch, you know, everything because I love video games and it's been part of my life since I was a kid. And, and it was interesting because like, okay, well, you know, here, you know, there's some kind of stuff that I'm craving. It would be great one day to be able to do that. And, um, and that was part of the serendipity of the Rolling Stone thing is when they reached out, it would, what I would, what I'd been thinking about was also what they'd been thinking about. So, um, it, it worked out great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you mentioned like going, you know, deep with content, having long form content, this culture writing. But there's, of course, you've been working in this, the kind of established, all right, we have game reviews, we have news, we have previews. There's kind of always been this model to a certain extent of what people expect from sites. So is that something you're still going to try to follow, but add your own spin to it where maybe game nah. reviews are and going in a different direction? Or is it just completely like we're going to throw all that out and start in a different way? We're going to start in a different way. I think a lot of the sort of structured stuff is, well, part of it is, um, you're, when you're building something on top of a product database, you're somewhat of a slave to what a product database requires mm-hmm. to be successful, right? And you have to, you have to feed the beast. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, the, the nature of the, I mean, SEO is always going to be important, but the nature of the way people, Consume content and discover content is very different now than it was 10 years, 20 years. I mean, GameSpot and IGN are both 20 years old this year. And, you know, the root of their size and their success is 
this lengthy, this long SEO um, history and legacy that you know they 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 rank first on pretty much everything that you punch into Google because they're they're built on top of a SEO optimized database. Um, but a lot of modern websites are built around content delivery and social sharing, and you know it's a very different way that people discover content and share content so that the opportunities are a little different on the from a product perspective now yeah um also i mean for the longest time i mean previews boring right absolutely <laughs> i i mean yeah i it's not what i'm looking for anymore like when uh someone's like all right we're doing a new site here's our reviews here's our news here's our features like oh god like the same way where someone starts a YouTube channel, and even now, if it's like, here's our Let's Play section, here's this part where we react to a video, I'm like, oh, can we, can we do a different spin? Like, can we try something a little bit different here? And it's, you know, I think people are ready for something a little different. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, fundamentally, I mean, we're just sort of looking at, right now, because we're in this newsletter period, we're able to just think of things as just articles, right? And... Within those articles, there are some sort of broad buckets that we're categorizing things and that we're working with freelancers on, um, you know, there's profiles and interviews and, um, we have vaguely reviewy things that we're experimenting with. And a lot of it as well is to see how they're received, um, how they're received in the newsletter, how they're received when we share them on social, um, and also how they're received within the context of Rolling Stone, which is a bit different, um, you know, RollingStone.com has a much younger demographic than the print. I mean, it's you know, there's a, it's a big site, and uh, there is there is a young audience that reads it. So, gaming being in the mix there has been, it's been really sort of gratifying to see that audience take to the video game stuff. Yeah. And then this week, obviously, because Pokemon apparently is all anyone wants to click on. Um, yeah, speaking of SEO, that's just yeah, consuming. <laughs> Some of the, you know, we, we've had a couple of stories, two, three stories, um, that, that Blixel stories about Pokemon that have been top five, even the number one most read story on Rolling Stone this week. I mean, so, you know, we're, so, we're it, it's helped prove a point that games is part of larger pop culture. You know, all it takes is the right thing. Uh, you mentioned kind of with how you're dispersing content right now relating that to The Ringer where they started with the newsletter and they built into the actual full site. Do you look toward uh, even Grantland and the Ringer as kind of inspiration maybe for even the style of content you want to do? Because I've had uh, Jason Concepcion on my podcast before, and he does really great work. He did really great work at Grantland with games mm-hmm. coverage, where it um, I point to his Metal Gear Solid Five piece, where it's not really a review. It's more this experiential, like, here's this yeah. mission where you're kind of focusing on that. And it's for me, that was much more fascinating than someone saying, graphics are great, and the sound is good, 9 out of 10. Like that kind of angle to it. Is that something maybe you're looking at as when you say yeah. review type things where it almost yeah. reads like, here's my opinion on this, but I'm not going to attach some mathematical process to give it a score. Right. And experience is important. Right? I mean, I think there's so much media available about a game that you're into. And, you know, I mean, it's particularly true of the AAA stuff, but even the indie stuff. You can go on YouTube, you can go on Twitch, you can get an idea of a game pretty easily yeah. um, and form an opinion based on what you've seen. Um, so, you know, I think conveying an exp- if you've actually been lucky enough to play it beginning to end, conveying your experience and how it moved you or touched you or made you feel or I think is a powerful thing. And it's potentially 
the last piece of content someone might read before either buying a game or the game arriving in the mail from Amazon, right? And it's so you you know, you are look look, I'm lucky I was lucky enough to be able to play it before you, so here's here's what my experience with it was. Um I don't think people need buying advice anymore. I um yeah. that was that was always the you know un- the underlying purpose of reviews, right? Was, you know, help people put put their money into the right things. And that's not what people need anymore. Yeah, and, and we moved kind of there was this time when I was doing a lot of freelance at GameSpot, we were kind of moving away from the more traditional like buying advice reviews and going more toward that kind of like here's my experience, here's this it almost read similar to a feature but had that review tag on it. And there yeah. was this strange disconnect between how I felt, uh, the audience and kind of like the reception of those because they were anticipating the, the basic review format. The, you know, I'm almost reviewing this like I'm reviewing an HDTV or a camera and here's a score at the end. So I think it is smart to kind of even like break away, even if it's still kind of review in a sense, you're not really making it beholden to that. It's, it's something new. It's, it's, and I, I agree that the idea that there's so much content about a game out there before it's released with, you know, you could see maybe chunks of it, like hours of the campaign on YouTube or Twitch before it even comes out. You can kind of give your own, make your own uh, kind of opinion on that before you even get any sort of hands-on experience. So buyer's advice is not exactly what we're looking for at this point. And we've, we've been experimenting with that. I mean, so we had... Um... Michael Sylvain is a writer for us in the UK, wrote our inside. We called it a review. I mean, it was, I mean, to all intents and purposes, it was a review, but it was sort of this approach, which is let's convey the experience and, uh, let's try and convey the experience of the ending without spoiling it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was, we're going to keep sort of working on that format and, and, and refining it, but I think that, that sort of experiential thing. I mean, you mentioned Grantland, and yeah, I mean, it was it was on our list of things that we really liked um, about taking, you know. And I think everything, if you look at it the right way, you can you can find and define the culture around anything, right? Mm-hmm. In the, any anything with any kind of following has culture associated with it, and people that feel very strongly about it, and video games in particular. Um, you know, I mean, back when I started. People self-identified as gamers, and I don't think that happens anymore. People self-identify as Overwatch players, or you know, or there's a handful of games that they'll identify with. I think it, it's it's rare that people are just this sort of like homogenous general gamer now. Yeah, people say I play Call of Duty. They don't say I play right. video games. Which means there's, a, and you know, I think that translates into there's a culture around each of those things that people identify with, and it's and it's more than just the product, right? It's 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 the experience. It's the people that play it. It's the YouTubers. It's the, the streamers. It's yeah. it's there's this whole culture that builds up around things, and there are interesting stories to be told from all of it. And it's and, fascinating to follow games after they're released because yeah. I, I I've always felt like there's always this big build up as a game's about to come out. There's you know previews, which we've already said were bad. And all these different things that kind of lead up to it. And as soon as the game comes out, it's just kind of dropped and move on to the next one. And I think Kotaku's done a good job of saying, hey, you know, there's there's value in covering what happens to a game after it releases. Especially with how online is now where there's mods, there's uh, entire communities that do unique things that the developers never even expected. And uh, beyond buyer's advice, those kind of feature reviews that mix 
sometimes those are best read after you've played a game to yep. see maybe there's a perspective you didn't even think about. Maybe there's something you missed. Maybe it'll make you appreciate it more. When I read uh, Jason's Metal Gear Solid Five features after I beat the game, and then you could relate to, oh, I played that mission. That's a really interesting way to look at it. So you can kind of follow a game after it's released instead of just drop it and move on to the next big thing. I mean, honestly, I think the big realization that that was really a thing for me was uh, when we were doing One Up Yours. Because yeah. um, we found, and the response that we got from the One Up community at the time was that they enjoyed the conversations that we had on One Up Yours more than they enjoyed reading articles about video games because it was it was from the heart, it was natural, it was a bunch of people that knew what they were talking about, having conversations that were relatable. But this group of people had had a level of access, which meant they were talking about things that, as a listener, I you know, oh wow, I had no idea, you know, and that was that was a a big realization for us editorially at the time, in that there's like there is an appetite for something that else that is, and all the most interesting stories are after you've played it, Absolutely. and when you've got some context for it, and if you look at all of the big stuff, all of the biggest games right now, um, are things where you know, all the the coolest stuff has come post-launch. I mean, you look at the obvious ones like League of Legends and Dota or CSGO, or you look at um, Overwatch or, you know, it's... Destiny all was the, a huge one that just had legs. Destiny, you know? Yeah, I mean, the stories that you can tell from Destiny or the things that you can go talk to the team about or what the audience is doing or how people are responding to something or, you know, it, it, it you know... A, cool game inspires people and and that's when the interesting story opportunities arise uh, when polygon started it was a lot of established people coming from other sites kind of to join that to make almost a super site in a way where it's suddenly you're grabbing people from game informer and ign and people and suddenly it's it, this is a new site with all these people that you kind of recognize with glixel uh you mentioned freelancers before is there a certain balance in mind of we want you know, 25% full-time, 75% freelance? Is it going to be completely flipped? Like, what's kind of the goal with how this is going to be staffed? There's going to be a lot of freelance. Um, the internal team will eventually be, you know, I mean, pretty small. We'll have a few video guys that are helping direct stuff and then and then editors that are basically traffic copying. You know, we'll, we'll write some stuff internally, but we're, we're looking for freelancers to provide a lot of the meat and ideally, it will have a crew of regular freelancers that, as far as the audience is concerned, they, they you know, they'll just be voices that they see regularly. You know, we, when I ran PC Zone in in the UK, that was the case. We had, um, the um, the bulk of um of the team was actually freelance. So there was uh. Mark McDonald and Patrick McCarthy and Duncan, and like, if you have people that listen in the UK, there'll be a bunch of names. Charlie Brooker actually wrote for us as oh, a wow. freelancer on PC Zone. Um, and the readers were, uh, they thought that these guys were full-time because they wrote in every issue. And I think there's, you know, I think, you know, for us to be able to put a, a squad of people that are writing really good work regularly um, and, and the internal team kind of doing stuff, you know, as necessary, that's kind of the goal right now. I think it's a great idea too with freelancers. I again, when I was at GameSpot, it was a regular group. Uh, when Kevin Van Ord was the editor at that point, yeah. it was 
It was always like, here's a review from, you know, me. Here's a review from Nick Cabazzoli. Here's Don Sass. Here's uh, just all these people that, you know, I would like to think people recognize, like, hey, this is like the reviews team instead of, here's this review opinion from someone I never heard of. And I think there, right. there, there is a disconnect that can happen with that. Um, I think personality-based games writing is really important. A giant Bomb is always the one I look at. I mean, you were talking about uh, that kind of behind-the-curtain look that happens on podcasts. I think that's one of the main reasons why the Giant Bombcast is so popular because it's, you know, these people who have been doing this forever giving you this perspective that you can't have, and they're also funny, they're also interesting, yeah. and you get to know them. Right, exactly. You feel like you know, you know them. So it's a, re- it's, it's a relationship. It's not just someone talking at you. Um, and I think that's something that, I mean, just across, and it's not just in media, I think across the game space, one of the problems that a lot of brands have as well in gaming is that they talk at the audience instead of to them. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, Giant Bomb and I think what well, Greg and the guys at Kind of Funny are doing, I think one of the, the real lessons there is that, you know, personality and something relatable is important. People want to feel like they're part of something. And, you know, that's real community, right? It's, it's not comments or message boards. It's feeling like there's a sense of belonging and that you are part of a group that's like-minded and that you, you know, you trust what these people say. And I know you can do it editorially, you can do it through video, you can do it through pod, I think podcasts are particularly good for that. Um, because it's like listening on a conversation for an hour, you know? Yeah, that's why people love it. And that's why, uh, you even, there's also something exciting when you go from, like, you hear Jeff Gertzman or Brad Shoemaker on a podcast, you want to read the reviews even more because you start to say, like, oh, my interests align with them. Now I want to yep. actually read what they write. Is there going to be an effort to put freelancers on video too? Because again, there's, the voice is always great, but it's also, it's probably even better to have, you know, a video, put a face to the name, put, you know, understand like, oh, I now kind of know who this person is that's a freelancer. Is that going to be an idea? And are you also looking at doing a podcast? Yes, we are looking at doing a podcast. Um, it's just right, right now, it's just been a time and logistics. We've been, you know, building the brand and, and tweaking things and, and we wanted to get certain elements locked down because what we didn't want to be doing is if we changed our mind on branding to have to go through and completely rebrand everything yeah. <laughs> before we'd even launched. Um, so there's been a lot of stuff that we've been kind of locking down and, you know, we're still hiring the team, but I think we're at a point where, you know, a podcast is definitely something that we want to do in the near future. Uh, something that, so Simon Cox, who I work with at Ziff Davis is, is on the team as well. And we've been, um, we've been talking about it a lot and we just want to make sure that if we do a podcast, there's a point. Yes. We don't want to be another podcast with a bunch of dudes sitting around talking because that's that's already well covered and the you know the the sort of is there are people that are established and people don't need another one of those you know i mean one of yours did it back in the day and i think after one of yours went away i think that the giant bomb cast picked up the mantle there that kind of feeling like you're listening in on on friends talking about games and you know i i love it but I think it would be silly for us to try and do something the same, you know? No, I agree. No, that, that, that I mean, it, it sounds like that's the goal of your website in general is not just to be another gaming website. So you wouldn't want your podcast suddenly be like, I don't know, yeah. let's just, let's run through the news and then talk about these uh, couple of, let's topics. sit around and talk for an hour and see yeah. what happens. What have you been playing this weekend? <laughs> like, you don't want to do that. There's, there's already people now have an established kind of a lineup of podcasts where. You know, on Monday, this new episode of this comes out on Tuesday. Here's the sports one. Wednesday, here's the gaming one. Like, they already have kind of, you have to do something pretty special to break through. 
Uh, and, you know, even if it's not, you know, the most amazing conversation right at the start, at least it has to be different. It has to do something to grab attention. Uh, One thing that always, when, when we tell them about One Up Yours, is uh, it was a lot more structured than I think people thought. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Believe it or not, every week there was a plan. <laughs> um, and we had show notes and we had, I mean, Andrew Fister was the producer on that show and he would be there and he'd be whipping us into shape and making sure that we weren't drifting too far. And, you know, he and Garnet as the host, they would sit down, they'd do a show plan beforehand. We knew what we were going to hit in an episode of, of One Up Yours. It's just sometimes it took us three hours, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No podcast that follows strictly to show notes has ever sounded good. It has to go off the rails a little bit. It yeah, has to go. You, but know, it, you want that natural conversation. We were lucky that the you know that group of people got along so well that it always sounded effortless and felt effortless. I mean, it was. We used to record every Thursday night, and it was consistently the highlight of our week. Yeah, and it was great for me as well because you know it was it was being a part of the content mix. You know, I mean, I was the guy with the silly job title in the room you know yeah but we would just sit around and we'd talk about games and the news and we'd make predictions and people would say that we were bullshit and more often than not we were right <laughs> god damn it no i yeah it was a show i listened to where uh again you felt like you're in the conversation when i went to e3 for the first time and i saw garnett lee i'm like oh my god like it's the guy from one up yours like you have that attachment to it and i mean even now you have I don't know if you've ever listened or went to like the website uh, this year, which does like collections of podcasts. Uh, I know One Up yeah. Yours is one of the most popular still, where they have like this complete, you yeah, know, yeah. kind of throughout it's the great. years. Every now and then, Luke, Luke, Luke will tweet that he's listening to it, and it sparks off a whole other. Hey, we should do a reunion. <laughs> Probably should. You could do like a pack. One day pack we've been we've been joking. We've been joking this year. Actually, we were talking on. I mean, we weren't really joking. We were kind of serious. It was like, hey, well, maybe. We should try and raise some money, and we'll go do, and we'll go hire out a venue, and we'll do it live, you know, like and actually invite people to come along. But we we need it funded in some way because we all have different jobs now. It's like it's not like it could be, you know, a part of our sort of day to day necessarily. But wouldn't it be great if we could go take a weekend and you know hire out a theater somewhere and do a you know and do a live show and record it. Yeah, why not? I'm telling you, like a packed one day, crime, one day we'll do it. Someone would, they would totally do it. You can make like a panel out of it. Uh, so even yeah. if like you know this wasn't your intention, I think right now you're going to kind of be somewhat attached to Vice's new gaming focus, and even to a certain extent, Zam.com, only in the fact that there's this certain sense of a resurgence of games writing. Uh, to a certain extent, because these are like. Yeah. New websites that are coming in after a point where it seemed like not a new, not a lot of new big websites were happening. So, in your mind, is this, is this kind of just a coincidence that all this is happening, or do you think this is some sort of actual real resurgence after you know we've had this big video boom? No, I think I think what the, I think what the video stuff has proven is that everyone has a purpose, right? I think there was this, there was this trend for a while that you know. Oh, we don't need the media. We've got, we can just go to an influencer, you know? And I think that we, we had to go through, it was painful as hell. And I've seen it from, from both sides and it's, and it's difficult to wrangle, but it was, it was an obvious reaction for the gaming, whatever you want to call it, space to have, right? In that, all right, there's, 
there are people with followings on on YouTube and the stuff going on on Twitch, and it's like there was this period where it was like, okay, this is this is games media now. It's this serves the purpose that we need to get the word out about video games, and it's all anyone needs. And I think what's happened the last couple of years is that people have been like. It, that's great, but it's great at specific things. There is still room for discussion and exploration and reporting and, you know, in, in other areas. And I think what Lixor and Vice and, 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 and Polygon and, you know, all the guys that are still, uh, that are out there, I think what we're all seeing is that there really is a need from the audience for different types of stories. And, you can't be everything to everyone, so you carve out your niche. And I think what's been great is that as the as the whole space has matured, it's actually opened up the possibilities for what you can do and what you can hang your hat on a little bit. I mean, it used to be that you know you did news and previews and reviews, and then maybe a strategy guide. And the assumption was that the audience would play the game and they'd beat it, and then they'd they'd either put it on the shelf or they'd trade it in a GameStop and move on to the next one. And that was the cycle. And that was what editorial was built to serve as a cycle yeah. and I think as the whole way that people play and and feel attached to games and communities and stuff has changed, it's just opened up all the possibilities for what you can do editorially and you know report, like good journalism and reporting about anything is hard absolutely, and takes time and you know Anyone can bang out a story, but something that's well-written, well-researched, you know, gets to the point, communicates what it's trying to do, like, writing that shit is hard, and I'll tell you, editing that shit is really yeah, hard totally. as well. <laughs> and I think the, the demand for it is never going to go away. I think it's just, it's just got to evolve, right? And I think, you know, you can't, I think the, the people saying that, oh, games media is over... They were partly right in that games media, the way it had always been, was somewhat over. But of course it was, because everything has to change and evolve. And, and, and what we're seeing right now is everything adapting and evolving. And I think the resurgence that we're seeing is that the, the need and the purpose and the, the, the sense of being has made itself a bit more apparent, you know? Yeah, and when you're also looking at, of course, as I said, there's always going to be kind of this desire for this sort of content, but I mean, it does take a lot to write a big feature. It does take a lot to maybe even spend a few months to write this big expose about a specific developer or publisher or what it's like, you know, if someone is ever lucky enough to get the full story behind what really happened with Destiny, like that's a great mm -hmm. feature with how that changed and everything like that. But again, that's, that's one story and it takes a lot to do. It, have you been looking at sort of, I, the ad structure's hard. Have you been looking at all at maybe doing premium content, doing anything? Is there any desire to put anything behind a paywall? No, there's no plans currently. I mean, we've looked at, at every possibility. Um, what we're doing right now is more, I mean, it's, it's finding the voice and working towards launching the site later this year. And I think we want to adapt with we don't want to go in with with like you know here is all of our preconceived note we're just going to deliver on that i think it's i mean one of the reasons that that doing the newsletter has been so great is that we can see the feedback and see uh, and then see which stories perform well on rolling stone and which ones don't and then you know there have been a number of stories just from the newsletter that we know have really resonated with people we did um chris solentrop did that interview with neil Druckmann in the first issue and it, the response was amazing yeah. you know 
Um, and there have been a number of stories since that have had really, really positive reactions. So it's like, okay, well, we know kind of we're starting to get a feel for what it is that people really like. Um, and we'll continue to do that. And, when we, when, and once we're live, we're a live environment rather than essentially a four or five story magazine every week. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the nature of how we, how we go about our sort of day to day is going to change. Um, I will tell you one thing that's been really good is that being part of an organization like Rolling Stone, I mean, I, I haven't really felt like editorially that I'm learning a great deal for years, you know, because, you know, I've been doing this a long time and, you know, you work with people and you, you pick things up, but this sort of like how working with the Rolling Stone team about how they craft a story and how they approach reporting and how they edit a story and has been I mean, it's been awesome. I mean, like, it's opened my eyes to sort of an, you know, an approach to doing things and the way that they go about doing things that, you know, I, I had never really been exposed to previously. Yeah. Um, it's been both inspiring and occasionally moderately humiliating. <laughs> well, I mean, you've worked mostly at, you know, sites and publications that focus on games writing and how games writing is done. So this has to be just really, of course, you know other styles of journalism and writing, but it has to still be different to be kind of entrenched in its group that has not been focusing on that, that has, you know, different ideas of what sort of content works and how to produce that content. Yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic. I mean, and they've been, they've been so, like, supportive and accommodating. I mean, it's been, you know, and, you know, as someone that's been a, you know, Rolling Stone fanboy for a long time, um, and, and it being such an inspiration back when I was doing print to be now working with the guys and getting advice from them. And I think every now and then, I, you know, they, they may work, well, you know, he's this guy and he's been doing this for a long time. I, you know, but, <laughs> you know, I think early on they were worried that I might push back because I've been doing this and, and I'm like, no, bring it. I like, you know, <laughs> I, I want to know how you do this stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's been, it's been great and it's helped us really kind of focus the feedback that we give to freelancers as well and you know i mean part of our goal with this as well is that anyone that we work with on a freelancer if we can help them and mentor them and help them shape their stories we want to be able to do that as well because if we can be a part of this move that's happening right now to sort of generally improve the quality of the way games are reported on then that's awesome you know that is so great to hear because again I've had people on this podcast and we've had the discussion about you know how do you make games writing better not that you know me or any of us have come to this we're not going from the standpoint of like we're great at it you guys need to catch up it's nothing like that it's just you know you want the quality of overall of games writing to improve and if Glixel is a place that you know you bring a freelancer in and by the time they maybe leave or do something else they're you know a stronger writer they're thinking about things differently like that's that's great like it's yeah, so and that's, that's my that. hope. I mean, I, we're under no delusions that we're, you know, the best or anything. I mean, we're just like, but what we do want to do is make sure that we're we're taking the time to not just edit something and put it out. We want to make sure that the writer is a part of the process and understands why we're doing it, and that you know, we can always do a better job of communicating our expectations of of stuff. Um, but you know, what we're by working with the Rolling Stone guys, you know we're held to a certain standard that is is pretty high. <laughs> yeah, but that's great. It's awesome to have that high standard, even if at the start it can be, again, daunting, not to use that word too much, but it can be scary to look at that. But it's There have been times where I'm just going, like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but by the end of this, you're just going to be way better. It'll all work out perfectly. 
I mean, right. I know. I mean, even, I mean, you know, I mean, I've written a few things, and I know that. I mean, just personally, I'm for having worked with this these guys. I'm, I'm, I know I'm a better writer for it. No, just because it teaches you to to focus in on the right things and the way you frame things and the way you set things up and you know it's just it's it's stuff that in in games it doesn't always come up right and and it and it should so hopefully we can help. That's great. Uh, this has made me just I was already excited to see what Glixel was going to do. This makes me infinitely more excited. Uh, John, so what's kind of the you mentioned closer to the end of the year for kind of launching yeah. the site. What's the the current kind of schedule for finalizing the kind of consistent freelancers you're going to have, or finalizing the full time staff? So finalizing the full, we'll probably we'll September October okay. is the time frame that we're looking to get everything sort of locked down. But because we have the newsletter, we have the luxury of you know working with freelancers and telling stories between now and then. Um, so we're we're taking pitches, we're assigning stuff, we're, you know, you know, building that little freelance army. Yeah. And, you know, and helping people find what their specialty is, you know. I think much like gamers don't self-identify as as gamers necessarily and that they have specialties that they're into. I think that, you know, we can help writers be like, you know what, you're really good at this. You know, stop pitching me this other stuff and focus on that. <laughs> and for so long, freelancers are kind of pushed in the direction of be good at everything so that you can, you know, adapt and you can make as much money as possible doing whatever editor assigns. And I think specialize and have a marketable skill and be, you know, be the guy that when someone says, you know what, I really need a story like this, that if you, as a freelancer, if you can become the obvious person that they want. Yeah. Then, then you're, then you're not in the content factory business. You're in the, you know, all right, if you want the best, I don't know, profile, mm. I'm your guy. That's, yeah. that's what I'm good at, you know? And I think that kind of thing is, you know, it's, it's coming. And I think people are learning that, you know, that they have, you know, particular skills that they can apply. And some people, you know, I mean, we've had it. I mean, like you mentioned Kevin on, on GameSpot earlier on, and he ran the review section when, when I was there as well. And like, that was what he was laser focused on. And, you know, that kind of specialty ultimately is much more marketable than being like, yeah, I'll write whatever you want, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. You don't, I'm, you don't really appreciate the like inch deep, mile wide philosophy. I prefer the person who's saying like, hey, I am, again, I am this guy for you. I am the guy who I know every single thing about MMOs you will ever need to know so I can help you out with that. I'm also good at this, but like, yeah, that's. Even though, as a freelancer for a long time, that's kind of the opposite of what a lot of people are telling you. I've kind of come to the point, stepping away from freelancing, that being able to say that you are the best, or at least close to, uh, a specific thing, that's kind of the best direction to go forward. Uh, How should people, if people do want to write for Glixel, whether it be the newsletter Mm -hmm. now or the site uh, in the future, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, I actually set up an email address yesterday for exactly that purpose. Perfect timing. <laughs> so if you email edit, just E-D-I-T, at Blixel.com, that's G-L-I-X-E-L, um, that will go to all the right people. Um, so if people want to send pitches and stuff, then uh, that's the place to send it. Great. Uh, again, John, thank you for talking to me today. This is super exciting. Uh, this From the, everything you've said, this sounds like the kind of site and the kind of games writing that I've been asking for and wanting and looking for, just the kind of stuff that's beyond the 
the basic review and the basic preview and the news, which of course still has its place and still has its purpose, but uh, this is kind of a filling a niche that I've been looking for. So I've got to say, I I am, I'm looking forward to it. I hope. And I think, you know, I mean, and the other piece, I mean, we didn't, we didn't really talk about social much, but I think that that's an important part of the mix. But I think as a sort of way to, there's a lot of stuff that previously we may have burnt energy on writing a story that, that you put in the news well that's just a, and I think now you have different stories need to live in different places and yeah. sometimes you know a news item can be an Instagram post or a Twitter post you know I think there's people are sophisticated enough now that different content can go in different places and I think another another way I mean going back to people pitching if they want to pitch is understanding the context in which what you're pitching can exist as a content type, right? It's, mm. it's not just articles. It's like, here's the article piece, but maybe it could also exist as a, you know, a, as a series of social media posts to promote it or even could break out as social media or here's a way that it could be done on video or here's a way that it, you know, I think there's, there's an opportunity now for freelancers to show how savvy they are about the way their audience consumes and, and, and that's, you know, that would definitely make us sit up and pay attention. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's also, hopefully, for freelancers listening to this, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is totally like understand the, the audience that the specific site is going for and the type of content. So yeah, knowing exactly what you're going for and uh, knowing it's not just about writing random news posts is a good idea. There was definitely a time where I was a news editor um, and there were a lot of posts where I'm like, can I just make this a tweet? Like, can I just make this an Instagram post? This would be much better than me writing. Sometimes that's all it takes, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, guess what? This uh, grow up now has a release date. I really don't need to write 250 words on that and link back to three stories. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So again, uh, I'm really looking forward to it and would love to talk to you again, kind of once it's live and, you know, once no, it's I'd out there to, to see. Cause of course, one of the important things too that we didn't get touched too much on is you know, adapting because you mentioned you've seen what, you know, what some people have liked and what they haven't. And you'll have to moving forward, maybe say like, okay, this was not a good idea. We need to check, check go in this direction and we need to try this yeah. or we need to only cover Game of Thrones or, you know, something, something completely different yeah. to see how that goes. And that's the fun part, right? I think, you know, if you, if you've got some failures, it means you're experimenting enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. If everything went perfectly, that'd be a little bit weird. Like that yeah. might, you might need to be like, uh, something's good fishy here. Something's weird. So can I, can I plug some stuff? Absolutely. Plug away. So, uh, please sign up for the newsletter. Um, <laughs> uh, we send it out every Monday. It usually has four or five stories in it. Um, just go to glixel.com, G-L-I-X-E-L, and punch in your email address, and, uh, and you'll just get the newsletter every week. We won't spam you with anything else. Um, and follow us on social, uh, Twitter and Instagram, we're Glixel. Um, and Facebook, we're Glixel Official, because we, somebody had Glixel already. Who would have thought a made up word? Someone have already taken it. Tell you URLs and, and brands and stuff, it's so hard to you find. You gotta snatch it up years yeah. before you even think of it. So that's where this should go. And again, thanks again for coming on. Thanks everyone for listening. And hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.